0: Hello. It's good to see you all again. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We're still in chapter one I'm continuing our, our study here, going through the Gospel of Luke. And this uh, section here in Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80, which is the end of chapter 1. Uh, it's a long chapter. So, entitled it, Birth and Prophecy. So, uh, specifically, the birth of John, John the baptizer, and then uh, the prophecy of his father, Zechariah, and, and some details about, about the, that, uh, breaking that up into God's work, and then John's work. And kind of uh, it's kind of been a challenging lesson for me to outline. I usually like to uh, sort of distill the points that are made throughout the text, and then bring out um, topical points out of there, but this is more of an outline of, of just the way that it's that it's read through the text. But uh, we'll draw some some good lessons from what we we read from Luke and hear from Zechariah here. So let's uh, read here from Luke 157 through 80. Well, we'll break that up that first part, the birth of John, and then and then the second part with Zechariah's prophecy. So let's start in. Uh, He shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So here this this account of the birth of John, we're we're closing the loop on some things that we've studied Before You know, we had some promises in earlier lessons, earlier in this chapter, uh, from the angel of the Lord. If we look back at verse 13 of the same chapter, it says there, But the angel said to him, said to Zechariah, in this this uh, encounter in the temple, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Apparently you've been praying for a child all these years that his wife was barren. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So we see here that this has already been predetermined, that that, uh, he's going to have a son, even though all those years they were older than you would expect people to have children. Uh, So there's a miraculous aspect to that, miraculous aspect to this angel appearing to Zechariah. God's will is being told here. His name will be John. Don't just call him whatever you want or your own name, but John. And many will uh, rejoice at his birth. You're going to be happy and have joy. And of course, we just read that, that those things occurred in this account where the neighbors were there and everyone was really pleased at what had happened. But also back in that encounter with Zechariah and the angel, the angel told him, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And of course, we saw that here too, that these things are fulfilled. He was going to be mute until these things happen. Well, that's done. We saw God's word coming to fruition. So we can have confidence then. I think that's why this is structured this way. Seeing these things fulfilled, we can have confidence that all these other things that are being called out uh, about for John to do, that are being foretold with his work, that those are all going to take place as well. And uh, namely, verse 16, verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this is John's mission. Echoed from Old Testament prophecies. The angels reiterating it. You're going to have a son. He's going to be the one to turn the people to God. To prepare the way. To prepare the people to accept the Lord as Jesus is coming. So that's all coming to pass. And then all of that leads then. These events with the birth and the loosening of Zechariah's tongue, as was foretold, to then his prophecy. So the rest of our text, then, is uh, taken up mostly by Zechariah's prophecy. So let's continue in verse 67 here of Luke 1. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And now turning his attention to John, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, Comment in our reading, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So, what do we think of Zechariah's prophecy? How do we make sense of all of these many things he said? There's a lot in there, and it's a little difficult to parse out all the many things that he said. So, kind of go through a verse by verse exposition of of what it is he said and, and draw some thoughts from that. So, as he begins there, it says that. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's one of the themes of Luke, this uh, emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, he prophesied. And that's kind of interesting to think, you know, uh, what we call the Old Testament was sort of closed out, we might say, about 400 years before this time uh, with Malachi. So so Zechariah, when we had the angel here, right, just recently, but Zechariah is the first man serving as a prophet. He's prophesying here said for 400 years and this kind of tells us that God is active God is moving and he's making things happen you know we already had the, of course the angel but also even the pregnancies the mur- the miracles of these things happening uh, God is on the scene of course God is always active we don't always see it but but we're seeing it now these these things are happening here with these people so breaking uh Zechariah's prophecy into God's work and John's work the first part of his prophecy focused on God's work. And so verse 68, he begins, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So again, God is visiting. He's, he's, he's on the scene. He's, he's come through these prophets of Zechariah, and uh, we foretelling that John is going to be uh, uh, coming as a prophet. And of course, There's going to be references to Christ, which is it's all about Christ. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, is coming to visit the earth and and to uh, bring light and redemption to us. And, of course, being redeemed is the other point there, that Jesus is coming to redeem his people, to free us from sin and to be our atoning sacrifice and all of the, the good work that he did on the cross to pay the price for our sins. These are things that God... Is doing and has done, depending on your perspective and time here. Verse 69, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And that's not a phrase we probably say every day, raising up a horn of salvation, but uh, this idea of the horn uh, is an idea of power with some of those prophecies in the Old Testament and echoed in Revelation. We have talked about some symbols of horns referring to governments and that sort of thing. But of course, Jesus is uh, Lord of all, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming with this power. He, he's coming to bring salvation. And, of course, also it relates to to David and all of the prophecies of David and and the king to come after him and how the throne will not leave the line of David. And, of course, that's not uh, referring to John here because John is of the tribe of Levi. Because mom and dad were Levites... Uh, Zechariah is a priest, of course, can only be a Levite, but but we know Jesus comes through the line of Judah, the line of David, and that all fits for that. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah. Verse 71 says there that we that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And again, this reference to salvation and Perhaps it's unclear initially, especially for the, the folks at this time, uh, what, what kind of salvation are we talking about? They would be thinking perhaps of uh, being freed from Rome, Roman oppression. You know, as a, as a nation, they weren't uh, self-governing anymore. Rome had come in and taken over, and they didn't have a, a king on the throne, and, and so they want, wanted all that to be taken away. And that's kind of how they viewed this Messiah figure to come. So the enemy is Rome. Well, but as we look back from the completion of these things, we can see clearly that uh, the enemy is the devil and Satan, and the salvation is salvation from sin and from the from de- death, that goes with that and over the devil. But that's not completely revealed at this point, but that's of course the truth of the matter. Verses 74 and 75 here It says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies again might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So again, thinking this, this idea of, of the enemies, this, this uh, being freed from sin frees us to, to worship God and holiness and righteousness, not being held down by sin and being alienated from God, but being reconciled to him, being able to, to have that freedom. Jesus is coming. At this point in time, he's coming to pay the price for our sins so that we can have that freedom. But of course, from our perspective, Jesus has come. We have that freedom from sin. Jesus is the Redeemer, is our Redeemer. Verse 72, remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham. So what was the promise to Abraham? We've got to know the Old Testament to make sense of of what uh, is being written here. Go back to Genesis 12, verse 2. We can see one of the accounts of this. It says there, uh, God talking to Abraham, "I, I will make of you, Abraham, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Of course, at the time this was written, and even at the time of the first century before Christ came, it's confusing. What exactly does that mean? Uh, There's Jewish people, and so somehow that's going to help everyone else. Maybe people need to become Jews or something. Well, we know that the great nation in one sense is Israel. Uh, Those things happen in a physical sense, but we also know that spiritual Israel has been extended to the Gentiles because all families of the earth shall be blessed." And we know that Gentiles have been grafted in. God includes everyone in the invitation. I don't know uh, about all of you you guys, but uh, I don't have a Jewish background, but that doesn't matter. We're all included. We're all able to be able to have this invitation to us. So as we progress through our text, We transition to the part where he's focused on John's work and this prophecy that Zechariah is uttering. So around verse 76, he turns that focus. And so, and about how John will serve the Lord and his ministry as a prophet. So there in verse 76, and you, child, referring to this newborn John, you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So the child is John, and John will be a great prophet. And if you think back to Matthew chapter 11, 11, verse 11, uh, Jesus says there, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus looking back at, at, at John's ministry at a future point in time from where we are here. But even says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So that's, we're in the kingdom of heaven. So we have a better perspective on uh, on the plan of salvation than John had. Because since then, Christ has died on the cross for our sins. And we have forgiveness and we're able to be part of that kingdom. It's a reference here to the Most High. Of course, that's a common reference to God. God is above all other gods because all the other gods are false. John is fulfilling prophecies to be the one to prepare the way for the Lord, as we read in Isaiah and different prophecies. He's going to be teaching people about the, the coming Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see John talking about that of Jesus When Jesus comes to be baptized, Uh, John baptizes for the forgiveness of sins in his ministry. But it all leads to the the once for all sacrifice that Jesus performs on the cross. We have forgiveness of sins in Christ. But why is God doing all of this for us? Why is he bringing the salvation and defeating our enemies? If we go to verse 78. It says there, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So we have this tender mercy of God. He loves us. His will is that no one should perish, but that all should come to have life come to repentance but of course the question is will we will we come to repentance will the world will we help persuade the world in those things and then there's this reference to the in the English standard version says the sunrise there's a, quite a few different ways that's rendered uh, sunrise day spring dawn rising sun morning light I found all of those as tra- translations here of course it's all talking about Jesus Jesus is coming this this uh, sort of metaphor of the sunrise, Jesus is coming onto the scene as God comes onto the scene and God with us, all of these ideas. This is, a, this is the moment in history where uh, the beginning of, of salvation through, to all nations <clears throat> with the coming of Christ. And Jesus gives us the light. He's the, he's the word of God. We have the gospel and we have God's plan revealed to us in this. This reference to the the darkness and the shadow of death, again, I think we would understand talking about being dead in sin. And that's what Jesus came to solve for us. We don't have to be dead in sin. We can have forgiveness of sins through him. And then to guide our feet in the way of peace, well, who's the Prince of Peace? Back in Isaiah 9-6, we see that this Messiah to come is the Prince of Peace, and that's all fulfilled in Christ John's work is to prepare the people of God, Israel, for the most important arrival in all of history. We're having the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, Emmanuel, which means God with us, God on earth with people, the Redeemer, the Lamb of God who comes to take the sins of the world, the Alpha and the Omega, as as is told in Revelation, Jesus the Christ, the anointed of God, and that's what this is all about. Of course, that all leads to our next lesson, where Jesus will be born, but here we talked about the birth of John and Zechariah's prophecy comprised of God's work and John's work. So we see the continued development of God's plan. We see God fulfilling his promises and being active, breaking into history here we might say and setting the stage for so much more and not just the birth of Jesus but then of course all of the work of Jesus culminating in his death toning sacrifice his burial and his resurrection his victory over death the first fruits of the resurrection all of our hopes are in Christ so let's look at verse 68 as we think about an imitation blessed be the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. And of course, the way Zechariah speaks his prophecy, it's a—it's uh, as if it's already happened, but some of these things are to come from his perspective. But of course, you know, spoiler alert, it has come, right? Uh, salvation has come. Jesus was born. He lived that perfect life. He fulfilled the law of Moses, unlike anyone else. We're all full of sin and stumble in things, but Jesus never stumbled in anything. He offered himself as the spotless lamb of God and paid the price for my sins and your sins, all of our sins. God has redeemed his people, but are you his people? Are we really his people? Are, you know, the invitation is open. Have you accepted Christ? Have you taken hold of this free gift of salvation? God has grafted the Gentiles in. It used to be this idea of just the Israelites were the people of God, but, but through Abraham's seed, all, all nations will be blessed. And we are part of that through faith, not just through being born by whatever person before. It's through faith that we can be part of that family. So we invite you to come and believe in obedience, faith, faithfulness. You need to hear the word of God, and believe those things, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and repent of your sins, change to a, a new way, and confess Jesus as the Christ, and be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and live faithfully obedient, be faithful until death, He'll give us the crown of life. First John 1.9 also tells us that if we confess our sins as Christians... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, do you have a need to respond to the invitation? We're going to sing, Is Thy Heart Right With God? Is it? Is your heart right with God? If not, we invite you to come as we stand and sing the song together.